I don't kill people for fun. Hey, thanks for joining the Escape With Me book club. Escape with me, Lizzie Sawyer. And me, Sam Reiner. It's our most recent read. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about a new book. We're going to be covering it from beginning to end, so remember, there will be spoilers. Today we are going to Soldier's Island. Originally published in 1939, and then there were none, is now the best-selling crime novel, the best-selling mystery novel, and the sixth best-selling book of all time. With over 100 million copies sold, Agatha Christie accepted a writing challenge that she gave herself. Could she kill 10 people, one after another, without the plot becoming ridiculous or obvious? With a great deal of planning, Agatha Christie manages to skillfully bring all ten victims to the Soldier's Island, where their numbers dwindle to zero, leaving behind the perfect crime. So I read this book in high school. I was in the library just looking through random books, and I pulled off this one and Murder on the Orient Express. And I fell in love with it immediately. I thought it was one of the best books ever. Obviously, it is one of the best books ever, if numbers are anything to go by. But it's done extremely well. And we'll get into more of it. But that's kind of my background. I've been an Agatha Christie fangirl for years now. For me, Agatha Christie's just been kind of the, oh, you should probably read this. They're so good. Just people talking about it. And there's even been a Doctor Who episode with Agatha Christie in it. And so I've been meaning to read these books for a while while now, but I haven't actually read them until just recently when Sam was like, we're going to do Agatha Christie for our spooky stories for Halloween. And I was like, okay, yeah, I've been meaning to read this for a while. And I must say, it is a very good read. And Sam has now opened a door for me. And I have now read four Agatha Christie books within the last week. It's only been a week, but I'm four deep <laughs> and still going. You're welcome. But out of the ones that I've read within the past week, this isn't my favorite, but this is a very good one. Yeah, it's very good. To go on to judging a book by its cover. The one I had was more of an art deco style. It's essentially a house on a hill and the lights are on and it looks into the sea and the light reflection on the sea is a skull. And that's pretty much it. When I first saw it, I thought it would be haunted house kind of thing. Whether or not it was actually haunted is neither here nor there. But it would be a haunted house like they thought ghosts were doing it. And I thought it would be some sort of house party, whether or not the people were actually supposed to be there. Yeah, which I got it half right. It is sort of a house party, and they do mention the possibility of ghosts, but it's not nearly as heavy as I thought that would be. For me, I do actually have the cover that you have, and so I also have that kind of art deco thing. But as for first impressions by the cover, I was spoiled just because I've heard so much about this book before reading it and even played one of the Agatha Christie computer games for And Then There Were None, which doesn't necessarily follow the plot of the book. Doesn't at all follow the plot of the book. Yeah, so I knew basically what it was about, but I didn't expect for everyone to die, and then they all died. I mean, that was the one thing, because I had a friend who had the game and was like, yeah, you can save people along, and you're like this detective, and I was like, what in the world is happening? None of those things happen in the book. It's called And Then There Was None. You can't have survivors to And Then There Was None. Silly game programmers. Is it was or were? It's were but my brain doesn't accept that for some reason. Now it's time to join Justice Wargrave as he reads over the note again that invited him to Soldier's Island. So let's, we'll get to everyone else in a little while. Let's talk of what you thought about Mr. and Mrs. Owens, at least in the beginning. For me, I 
knew they weren't going to be real. I just didn't necessarily think much of them other than every time someone mentioned them, it would be like, yeah, that person is uh, not real. So you knew from the very beginning that they weren't going to be real. Yes. Like I said, I've heard a lot about this book prior. That's fair. The first time I read it, I knew nothing about it at the time. I thought they were real. One of the reasons I thought they were real is because all of the letters make sense. And if you look at them individually, and it is kind of individually when you first are introduced to everyone, you get introduced one by one by one by one. And each of the reason for going to Soldier Island. And so separated like that, all of them make sense. But then once everyone comes together and talks about it, it's very weird for all of them to be summoned that week. And of course, that's one of the first big reveals is, oh, look, his name is, and her name is, the initials are UN. I can't remember what they stand for for the different ones, but both of them. I think I wrote them down. Hers is like Una something with an N, and I don't remember what his were. I wrote them down in about the same spot that I wrote that UN Owens is secretly just unknown. Yeah, and that's the big reveal, which rereading it after knowing who done it at the end, really felt like a very proud game master being like, look at what I did and my characters. Ha ha ha. Aren't I so clever? He has to explain his own joke. That's what I really love about rereading it, because the first time you go through, the person who did it seems like one of the all the other ones. And it's just being a leader about it. But you realize they're just giving enough of their plot away. It felt like how I DM, honestly. In Dungeons and Dragons. I'll do something and then immediately have to explain it to my players so they think I'm clever. (laughs) Let's go down the victims list and we can go in order. Anthony Marston. Which one? The first one. Oh, Tony. He is the one that ran over the two children and then had no guilt about it. I feel like he would have been more interesting if they kept him around longer. But for the little that he's around, he's kind of boring. Other than he ran over some kids with his car and felt no remorse for it whatsoever. Yeah, and that's kind of all you get to really know about the dude. And he's six feet tall and apparently like a Greek god, just in general. Yeah, very attractive and whatnot. But we don't really get to know him. And so, like I said, I feel like he would have been more interesting if he stuck around. I thought he had an interesting personality and would be in a really good something to match with everyone else with his overconfidence. Yeah. But we don't really get to know much about him because he's the first victim. Goodbye, Tony. And then we have Mrs. Rogers, who gets about the same amount of screen time as Tony, but she's way more interesting. From the little bit that she does, yeah. She has a little bit more personality, but for the most part, it's just generally frightened before they even do the record. She's frightened, and then she's more frightened, and then she dies. Yeah. And just because it is this murder mystery, scared person that knows something bad is coming ahead of time is always more interesting than the overconfident person. This is true. And then we had General MacArthur, whose backstory was super interesting. It's kind of sad. He himself is kind of bland. He starts off and he has a typical military attitude. Very reserved. Very good old boy. After the record... 
or after a couple of people die. And he loses his mind. He just has this premonition that none of them are going to leave the island and he sticks around on the beach and is just like, we're all going to die. And he's apparently just accepted that. And then dies. Yeah. But his backstory, because obviously Tony is the two kids that die. Everyone who is brought to this island is accused of a murder or at least one murder, some multiple. And Tony's with the two kids. Mrs. Rogers is tied to Mr. Rogers and they're accused of killing an older lady that was sick that they were caring for. He is accused of kind of person pulling a reverse King David. Killing his wife's lover. He's sending him to war, but it's his wife. So it's a little bit of the reverse, but the same sort of feelings going on there. Yeah, kind of. But it's his wife. And at first, I didn't realize when you read it, it kind of sounds like the woman is General MacArthur's friend. Well, at least to me, that's always the vibe I got. I thought it sounded like his wife. Just in the beginning, like in the very beginning, because it's like, oh, she had a great sense of humor. She treated him like a mother. We all got along famously it's like okay and then later on it's like nope leslie that's what it was leslie nope that's that's his wife that's not just somebody he has a crush on they are married i don't know i got wife vibes from the beginning i'd say of everyone he has the second most interesting backstory but whose backstory do you like the most vera's okay same but it's a nice complexity and then of course the next one is mr rogers just out of curiosity as we're going along who do you think did it by this point. We've had Anthony and Mrs. Rogers, which could have been an accident, but then you had General MacArthur, which couldn't have been an accident. Okay, so while I thought that Owens was a fake name, I did think there was a another person hiding on the island. So I didn't think it was going to be one of the 10 people that had been announced. I thought it was going to be some mystery person that we didn't know about yet. And I thought that all the way up to the end until we got the little message in the bottle and it found out who it really was. So at no point did you think it was a ghost? No. I did think that they should check all the dead bodies again, though. That was something that I was like, dudes, check the bodies. One of them probably isn't either actually dead or is not actually who you think they are and is not a dead body. That did cross my mind. That probably would have been a good thought. To the point where I would periodically yell it at the book, but you know, books can't talk. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, it makes sense just because of the religious connotations with dead bodies, especially in the UK and the US. Oh no, it makes sense. However, everybody is dying. That's why I think it's very clever to pose as a dead body because no one's going to want to mess with that. Yes. So Mr. Rogers gets killed and she's tied into his wife. So that was a little bit later. Emily Brent. That one was a little confusing to me until the explanation of what happened. Yes. Her murder was an interesting one because she's also one that doesn't show regret about it, even though clearly she does have a guilty conscience over it, which is being manifested about her victim coming back and having hallucinations. But she keeps seeing her and hearing her and keep thinking that she's coming for her. And her whole thing is she had a ward to preference. Emily Brent is extremely religious. One of those types. Extremely. And she had a ward, but the ward got pregnant. And then she gets kicked out. Her family disowns her. And then Emily Brent 
kicks her out. And so she committed suicide. And so she drowns herself. And at first, Emily's all like, well, that was her choice. That had nothing to do with me. Yada, yada, yada. But like I said, as the time goes on, she gets more and more unhinged, more and more believing that this person is coming back from being drowned to come for her. And even at the very end, when someone is coming up to murder her, she's convinced it is the girl that committed suicide. So the next one, reading it again, it was much more suspect than it was. But the first time I read it, my mind was in eight different places, not knowing which way to look, which is something the book, I think, does pretty good on. You don't really know the answer until the end, so your mind does entertain a bunch of different possibilities. But Justice Wargrave gets, air quotes, shot when everyone runs upstairs to see Vera, and there's a huge thing of seaweed on a hook in her room, and it freaks her out because... It's dark in the room. They've lost electricity by this point. And she walks in the room and she thinks it's this cold, wet hand grabbing her by the throat and it turns out to be seaweed. And so everybody runs upstairs except for Justice Wargrave. But when they go downstairs, he's dressed up like a judge, which all things considered, this was probably the creepiest death because he's dressed up like a judge. Like they stole gray wool from Emily Brent and then they stole a velvet shower curtain and they have him dressed up like a justice and then he's shot in the forehead and he has candles on either side of him. The ambience of that one was so creepy. Yes, quite. Yeah, I think that's the only one that's really dressed up. All the other ones are like, they did. And as creepy as it is to walk in on Mr. Rogers, the male butler and he have an axe in the back of his head, it's like, oh, that's really scary. But to me, it was even creepier that the the murderer would take time to dress him up. That seemed even creepier to me because he was toying with his victims and dressing up because theoretically he would have had to shoot him in the head and then dress him up. That's a little... Just a bit. Very concerning. So the next one to disappear... And technically die. But the next one to disappear was Armstrong. And it happens in the middle of the night. And Bloor and Lombard are all, we gotta go find him and look around. So at this point, they're convinced that it's Armstrong's doing. Because this entire book, smaller things have been popping up. Like, oh, he was the only one with access to potassium cyanide. Oh, he brought needles so he could have injected into Emily Brent. Oh, he's the one who gave the sedative to Mrs. Rogers. There's all of these signs pointing to him. And so at the end, they're like, oh my goodness, it is Dr. Armstrong. Because at this point, he's disappeared. He's gone. Yeah, they can't, haven't found a body or anything. So they were convinced it's Armstrong. Did that sway you in any way? It's a relatively short portion of the book. But did that sway you at all? Oh, no, I still thought it was secret third party. And I was like, nah, Armstrong's dead. Was it too obvious? What, that he was dead? He was too obvious a suspect to be the killer. Oh, yeah, that's too for sure. Yeah, there's no way that a killer would be that, especially if the attempt was to kill all 10 people on the island. Yeah, let me make it extremely obvious, guys. It's totally me. Yeah, let me slip up at the first thing by giving this woman a sedative and having her die. So, Laura, at some point, they're out of the house. Laura is walking back to the house because he wants food. Which, at this point, honestly, don't split up, guys. Rule number one, you made this pact earlier that you don't leave. Need sustenance. <laughs> if he hadn't gone back to the house, 
they might have been okay. Really, though? There are a couple ones where it's like, okay, that was unavoidable, that was unavoidable. Especially in Emily Brent's case, you learn later that she was given a similar sedative, so she was exhausted when she was sitting down, and she mentioned she can't turn or anything, or she feels weird. And so she couldn't have helped that, but that was probably the first one where it was like, you could have avoided that. Which I liked Vera's thoughts, because at this point, of course, they're following the nursery rhyme. But Vera's convinced that, oh, the zoo is ourselves. Like, we are the animals. We're acting like animals about this. So if you're going to go to a zoo, which she thinks they are, and get killed by a bear, you're going to get killed by one of us. And then it turned out that Bloor gets his head smashed in by a bear clock instead. I was surprised that they didn't follow Vera's thing and one of them didn't kill him. Because I was convinced Lombard was going to kill Bloor. I didn't know what was going to happen, honestly. I figured he was going to die from going to the house. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't sure how he was going to die. It's insane. At this point... Lombard and Vera are feeling really good because they think, oh, it's Armstrong. We just need to stick together. We're going to be fine. And then they find Armstrong's body. And he's very obviously been drowned. And it's been a while as well. So they realize, oh my goodness. It's not Armstrong. It's not Armstrong. And so they immediately turn on each other again. Because it's obviously the other person. Yeah, they're still convinced at one point, Justice Wargrave says it's one of us. And so they're still convinced it's one of us because they've searched this island so thoroughly. I mean, technically, it is still one of them. It's just not one of those two. Yeah, but they've searched it so thoroughly. And I think one of the really smart things she does is instead of it being an old mansion where theoretically there's all these passageways and hidden spots behind the wall, it's a new modern mansion with none of those. It has electricity. It has all of the niceties. There's no square footage unaccounted for. So I think that actually really adds in a way that an old mansion wouldn't because they can say, yes, we've searched every inch of this island and actually mean, yes, we've searched every inch of this island. That's a nice terror to it. Vera and Lombard. Vera's a genius. I love Vera with a lot of the parts of my heart. Lombard and Vera kind of get a lot of attention throughout the book. And I mean, all of them get somewhat attention, but it does feel more like Vera and Lombard are main characters, quote unquote. Well, them and Armstrong. Armstrong gets a lot of thought time. He's later, quote unquote, eaten by a red herring. Very clever. <laughs> yes. It really does make sense for it to be down to Lombard and Vera. And Vera is like, oh, we should drag Armstrong to above the high tide mark so he doesn't go back in the water. And she uses this as an excuse to steal Lombard's pistol and shoot him, which was a, a really intense, pretty cool scene, honestly. But I have a question. Does being shot by Vera count as being fizzled in the sun? When a gun fires, it uses a spark, essentially, to ignite the gunpowder that is in the casing behind the bullet to launch the bullet. So, I mean, technically, maybe. If you were going to do it, how would you represent fizzled in the sun? Some sort of sun exposure. And not necessarily, oh, you died from sun exposure, but more that they were killed and then bleached by the sun. I don't know. It makes me wonder, because it was obvious at the end that that wasn't part of the plan for Vera to shoot him. So it makes me wonder what the 
plan was for Lombard? I probably, if it were me, just because sun exposure, there's no guarantee of that, especially if you're trying to kill somebody. And with the island being a very rainy climate, as seen by the couple of storms, I would maybe try to do burned alive as flames to represent the sun. Oh, that makes sense. And that would theoretically be easier to pull off than sun exposure. I just, you know, gasoline match in the wrong spot. I can see that. That one does feel like the only one that strays away from the poem. But I mean, he died. He did die. And lucky enough that it was Vera that shot Lombard and not the other way around. Because it has to be Vera to hang herself at the end. Yeah. I don't think Lombard would have done it. No. Because the whole thing was, oh, she's gonna be... Nine people have died, one of them by her own hands. She already has this guilt from other one is like basically expecting her to break psychologically and hang herself. Which she does. Which she does. I don't think Lombard would have broken by killing Vera at all. Nope. He left several people out in the wilderness to die to save himself. I think he would have been fine. Yeah, and the way he reacts to a lot of the deaths too, you can tell as long as it's not him, he doesn't really care. So at the end, you have two sections. You have one where you have these two police officers talking amongst themselves and laying out all the facts that they could find. And you find out about this one dude. The guy who gets Lombard there is someone named, they call him Isaac Morris. And you find out that he was killed as well, which probably is kind of smart, I guess. If you're going to have someone who's doing all of your dirty work, you don't necessarily want them to survive you. And he was technically the 10, even though he wasn't part of the rhyme. Yeah, he's technically the first victim, which, I mean, he also choked. He did, yeah. Uh, 10.1, 10.1. Point two. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> So there are actually 10 victims, which is very interesting because you find out, of course, in the letter afterwards, there's a second part. Because the first part is these two detectives getting all the information and then being stumped at the end and basically pointing out something that the reader didn't know at the end, which is Vera hanged herself by stepping on a chair and kicking the chair away. But when the police got there... The chair had been moved back. Yeah, the chair was moved against a wall. So she couldn't have been the last dead person on the island. What really sucks, though, is literally, if they had survived one more night, they would have been saved. For real. It was so, so close. Just don't go back to the house. Deal with the fact that you're going to be hungry. They were so close. And worse comes to worse... Because they gave us SOS signal. For some reason, the village was informed that, hey, this is a survival experiment, which is not a great excuse, which you find out later because they do SOS signals and a Boy Scout troop in the hills sees the signals and tells people in the village and they're like, okay, something's weird about the island. And so the next day, the ship goes out. But when they get there, everyone is dead. Yeah. So the second part, there's a letter in a bottle that someone finds and gives to Scotland Yard. And it's the confession of what the heck happened at the island. And you find out that Justice Wargrave is a crazy person who is homicidal, but with a conscience? Question mark? No, no. He just liked the idea of people finding out his plan. He'd be like, the master plan that no one can solve. Here's the answer. Let me give it to you. Well, yeah, but the actual I really wanted to commit a murder, but I couldn't do it to an innocent person. It had to be a guilty person. I don't know if that's necessarily conscience as much as... 
Okay, so let me put it this way. In D&D, there's Lawful, right? He's just a Lawful character. He's following his own code. His code just happens to be don't kill not guilty people. Yeah, he's definitely a Lawful. He's concerning in a lot of ways. <laughs> he really comes across uh, psychopathic. Because he is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he finds out about Dr. Armstrong from somebody, I think it was. No, it wasn't Dr. Armstrong. It was a doctor that attended to the Rogers lady. So the person they were supposed to be taken care of. And he believes that they were withholding medication from her. Which they were. Which caused her to be sick and die. And so even though Rogers left in the middle of the night in a rain to find a doctor... He's like, mm, I'm pretty sure that they totally let her die. And so this starts a conversation about people that can get away with murder and be above the law. And so he just goes on this couple year long thing where he picks out his victims. There are a couple things that he points out. And there's a couple things I learned reading it again. So a couple of things he pointed out was like, oh, they could have known it was me. The police. He was the only one where he sentenced this dude to, well, he didn't sentence. He basically basically talked to the jury and convinced them to make this dude guilty. Because he was. Because he was. And that is the only difference. Everyone else actually did murder an innocent person, whereas he was actually guilty. So that sets him apart. Was actually not guilty. That's what you mean. Yeah. Which, sorry, we skipped over Veer's backstory. We talk about how she's the most interesting in the story, and then we skip over her. Completely skip over her, yes. We'll come back to her, because that'll be a little bit of a conversation. So let's finish this up real quick. And there are a couple other things, like he shot in the head, and that's somehow the mark of Kane. I didn't understand that, but that's 80 years ago logic. Wasn't the brother brained? Didn't he brain his brother? Yeah, but I've never heard of being shot in the forehead as the sign of Kane or anything like that. Maybe it's a time period thing. Yeah, like I said, this is 80 years ago, so symbols have changed. And then there was something else about red herring. It's like, oh, he got swallowed by red herring, which I don't think the red, I mean... Red Herring was that he trusted Wargraves and faked his murder. But to me, the red herring that Armstrong got swallowed by was that he was the person who did it. That seems more correct to me. There was a lot of red herring surrounding Dr. Armstrong. Yes. Which Dr. Armstrong's crime is he operated on someone drunk and caused them to die. But then he sobered up and started his practice and became very successful and whatnot. And never touched alcohol again. Yeah. Till the day he died. So those are the signs he pointed out. The signs that I noticed for the reader, potentially, the way it is set up, it basically, the first part of the book revolves around Justice Wargrave. And he's the one initiating the search He's the one that points out the unknown. He's the one that says, oh, one of us is the murderer. He's the one who's like, okay, everybody tell us what you're doing. And he's the one who's like, okay, we always have to have facts. We can't have emotions. And so it makes a lot of sense why he would do that if he was the one orchestrating all of that. He wanted to set the tone that you can't trust each other. He wanted to do all these things. He convinced Armstrong to help him fake his death, which makes sense because when they come back down, they're like, oh, did you hear a gunshot? Did anyone hear that this happened? And they're like, oh, no, but we were running upstairs and Vera was screaming. And I was like, eh. They probably still should have heard a gunshot. Yeah, unless there was a third party person on the island who had a silencer. This is the 1939s, though. I know. I don't think those were even invented yet. Probably not. Then after that point, there's just... 
just he talks about the reason that he picked all these people of course and then he says the way he picked who would die in what order was based on guilt and what he believed like this person is guiltier than this person so they're gonna stay alive longer and they're gonna have to deal with other people dying and such and so forth throughout it and eventually he decided Vera was the most guilty and this is something that happens you know from the very beginning she was essentially a nanny to a child and he drowned and she swam after him and whatnot but he was always bugging her about wanting to swim to the rocks even though he was not a strong swimmer and on the side Vera had this thing with the child's uncle Hugo and apparently a large sum of money was supposed to go to Hugo except that the child was born as a boy and so all the money went to the boy and so Hugo claimed that he couldn't marry Vera because he didn't have the money and so it basically gets insinuated that at some point Vera told the child hey yeah go swim out to the rocks even though she knew that would be a death sentence for him so that Hugo could get the money and she could stop dealing with the child and the level of psychotic there just to have the brain break like that and think yes I will murder this child now it was kind of scary honestly because the entire time Vera is seen as this she's a younger girl she's sensitive she's very emotional about stuff but she's also clear-headed and like I said she feels like a main character type and then to find out she plans the death of this child plans it out like yeah I'll tell him he can swim out to the rock and then I'll pretend to go get him and I won't make it yeah to know how calmly she did it it was creepy and then at the end the entire time she's like Hugo I thought you loved me blah 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 and then you figure out the reason Hugo left was because he figured out Vera just murdered his nephew and was really freaked out by that and I can't blame him kind of freaky yeah that's very concerning imagine if they got married and had children (laughs) that would be I don't blame him and eventually what happens is Hugo gets on a ship and goes to America and that's where he meets Justice Wargrave and tells his tale and whatever but the entire time it's like oh she's missing this dude named Hugo oh he said he loved her but then he left her oh and you feel bad for her until you realize at the end oh she killed for him out of love (laughs) 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 so is probably the most interesting I'm curious on your thoughts because he ranked them a certain way. I don't necessarily agree with how he ranked them. I think Tony should have been alive a little bit longer. He needed a little bit more psychotic turmoil. He did. And that's why I was curious. What do you think the order should have been? Ah, uh, ooh, ooh. Hmm. I think probably the general should have died first. General McDoctor. Just because either him or... No. I was going to say him or the doctor, but honestly I think the general should have died first because out of all of them, he just wanted his wife back and so pulled military rank. What he did still wasn't good, but I think he probably should have died first. And then after him... Ooh. This is difficult. Why, Why do you do this to me? Okay, so probably him and then the doctor and then Rogers and then Tony and then M Brent. And then I probably would have left the rest the way it is. Just because Longbard is not great. So I think I'd leave the rest the way it is. How would you re-rank them? So I agree. I think General MacArthur should have been first. Mrs. Rogers should have been second. Just because you find out her quote-unquote, you find out. We, this is neither, neither confirmed nor denied. But it's implied that she was an accomplice to her husband and not the initiator. So her dying second made sense. I probably would have done 
on the Dr. Armstrong third, mainly because he did this. He was drunk when it happened. Immediately regretted it and attempted to never do that again. Yeah, and he's never touched a drop of alcohol. He's helped a lot of people. So I feel like saving him for fourth to last wasn't as fair. So maybe putting him at third. So then we get into all the people who don't feel bad for what they did. So I would boo Anthony Marston. I'd do Mr. Rogers before Anthony. Well, the only reason I say that is Anthony's wasn't planned. Okay, that's fair. The rest of them, well, except for Emily Brent, is quote unquote planned. Yeah, but she's a cold hearted. Yeah, that's why I say Anthony and then Mr. Rogers. I think we're at five at this point. And either way, at five, it has to be just Wargrave because he fakes his own death. Then I would say Emily, because even though she is cold-hearted, she did not plan for this murder. It is something that happened. Yeah. Then I would keep the order. Bloor for his... See, I go back and forth between Bloor and Lombard because Lombard killed more people, but he theoretically did it for survival, where Bloor did it for promotion. See, but I think Lombard feels less bad about what he did than Bloor. I don't think Bloor feels bad about it at all. I don't know. He has a couple of moments where it seems like he regrets doing what he did, especially near the end where we're start getting into psychosis level stuff and everybody starts having nightmares and whatnot. Because Lombard never has any nightmares or any guilty conscience stuff. He's just like, yeah, I killed those people. And? Yeah, that's why I go back and forth. So, Bloor and Lombard, one or the other. And then, yeah, Vera. Vera's the last one. Oh, yeah. She, uh... She bit crazy. Yeah! And I know I call Wargrave a sociopath. Vera actually comes across as a sociopath because she's able to create the social cues and whatnot. But when you think about it, she really doesn't have any empathy in the book? No. It feels more like she knows what to say and what emotions to have that are appropriate. And at one point, she does go into shock, but at no point does she show empathy for other people. And just the whole, she was able to murder this child and then go back almost immediately to working with kids. Yeah, it's, it's a bit much. Yeah, Vera, Vera is concerning. So what did you think of the solution? I don't know if I was necessarily surprised. It was just kind of a, oh, all right. Okay, I see you. Versus one of Agatha Christie's other novels that I just recently read where we got to the end and I was like, are you kidding me? So this is what I get for reading four within the past week. (laughs) True. Shout out to the murder of Roger Ackroyd. I really liked the solution, mainly because she went into this not wanting to make it ridiculous or obvious what's happening. Happening. To do what she did was no easy task. Yes. You had to be a certain amount of unpredictable, a certain amount of terrifying and atmospheric, but also have it all make sense in the end. And of all of the people, I think the justice does make sense because it's shown how he has access to all of these people and how he heard about all of their stories and how he's able to look into them in a way a normal person wouldn't because of his station. And she also creates a personality that makes sense. Yeah. As we pointed out, he is very homicidal and likes to hurt things, but he has this sense of justice, so he can't just kill anybody. And so he creates this plan where he can kill people and not feel bad about it because they're guilty of other crimes and the law can't do anything about it. Okay kill people, but only bad people. Exactly. Like, okay, sir, you might want to sit down for a little bit. And then to find out at the end that he had a terminal condition anyway, which also makes sense why he finally decided to do it. Yeah. 
Because if he's going to die anyway, might as well go out with a bang. Pun not intended, considering how he died. But also the way he went about just his personality makes so much sense as this serial killer. The wanting to have recognition, but wanting to also have this perfect crime. The enjoyment he got out of leading all these people to realize they're being hunted, but also be extremely careful and actually be able to do this stuff. How he stuck so closely to this children's nursery rhyme and why he was sticking to this poem, how he was very romantic kind of person who would think of things like that. I will say as someone who's read this a second time, once you read the solution and then read it again, it becomes so obvious. But the first time through, I don't think there's a way to be like, yeah, it's him. She did a really good job. She did a really good job. Much impressed. I want to know where she went when she disappeared and then came back. Is that your question for the author? Yes. That's my question for the author. Where did you go? The world would like to know. Overall thoughts. It's very gripping. It's very scary. It's very intelligent reading in that it was very smart the way it's put together. Oh, it's such a good book. I can tell why this is such a massive selling book. Because not only did she write a good book, she wrote a good book around a premise that most people would absolutely screw up. And she did it in 1939. Yeah, she had an amazing brain in that head. Oh yeah, she is not known as the queen of mystery for nothing. And just the prolific amount of things she wrote and still kept quality was impressive. And it's why we're still obsessed with so many of their characters today. I mean, I just saw the Agatha Christie movie trailer for Death on the Nile. Which I just read. It's super good. Which is their continuation because a couple years ago they did Murder on Orient Express. Which I'm reading currently. And you can see why they're still making video games. They're still making movies. And Then There Were None has a TV show and a movie. The movie's from 1945. The TV show is from 2015. And there's spinoffs of it, too. Like, the movie with... Shoot, what's his name? The guy that does the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, I don't know. Give me two seconds to Google it. But you can tell, even today, things like Knives Out wouldn't have existed without Agatha Christie. I would not be surprised if that was an inspiration for the writer. Tim Curry. The movie with Tim Curry in it. Clue that's sort of loosely based on this book. I've seen Clue, but... I think it's loose. Based. They start with a record. Everybody goes to this house. It's storming. The first person to die chokes on something. Everybody's murdered somebody and the whole goal is to kill everybody that's in the house. I mean, not everybody dies. Like I said, it's loosely based. So this isn't just like a book from, oh, 1939, no, your history, blah, blah, blah. It's still affecting things to this day. And I think that's extremely impressive for someone who passed away so long ago to still be leaving such a mark on pop culture. Yeah. She doesn't even need to be alive for us to worship her. It's extremely impressive. It is. It's very, very impressive. And the stuff that she wrote is phenomenal. Yeah, extremely high quality. So I guess you already said your one question for the author. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not technically book related, but... I want to know where she went. (laughs) She effectively, the greatest mystery novelist, created her own greatest mystery and the world may never know the answer to it. It's hard to think of a question because I have so many. Just list a few off. (laughs) You don't have to do just one. But also none of them are about this book either. (laughs) She gives herself a lot of challenges. There's this one, obviously, A to Z, murder, I think is also another challenge one she gave herself. I guess a fun one. It's not going to do with this book. She had two detective series and this obviously doesn't fall into either of them. But I would be curious 
if she preferred Hercule, uh, Hercule, 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 Praro. I feel like every movie that has him in it pronounces it different. It does. The three audiobooks I've read with him in it now, they pronounce it mostly like that. Since it's a French name, I'm not 100% on how to pronounce it. And that's my butchered version of how the audiobook readers that I have had over the past few days have pronounced his name. He's actually Belgian. Still. But yeah, it is a French last name. So I'm curious if Hercule was her favorite or if Jane Marple was her favorite detective. Which one she preferred? I need to read something with her Jane Marple in it. I haven't hit her yet. I keep getting Hercule. I mean, she wrote 82 detective novels. You gotta gotta ways. I do, and I'm gonna keep going. She was a prolific writer. Which, once again, is amazing, the quality that she churned out. Her stuff is so good. (laughs) Rating-wise, I would give this Solving the Perfect Crime out of 10. It's weirdly satisfying that it follows this nursery rhyme, and all the murders, more or less, follow this nursery rhyme, and then the solution at the end is very perfect as well. It's all very satisfying in a really weird, creepy way. Like, people that study serial killers who are really good at it kind of way. Where currently this is not my favorite of her books, I will definitely rate this as my favorite spooky story book. As in, everybody dies and it's really creepy. And I love it. It's terrifying. Gets a 10 out of 10, everybody dies. (laughs) I do remember having nightmares after this book for a couple days. Read this book! I don't think we can express how good. Read the book. I'm tired of expressing how good it is. Read the book. It's October. It's the perfect season for it. Get a nice cup of a pumpkin spice latte or apple cider or apple cider or hot chocolate and cuddle up with a blanket and read you a spooky story. And then have your night light ready. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For the next couple of days. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can keep up to date with us by checking us out on Twitter or Instagram. And you can help support our podcast by checking us out on Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can get access to our bonus episodes, where we look at the movie adaptations of some of your favorite books. Some of them are really good. You should really check that out. This month, we're doing World War Z with a special appearance for my husband, the king of dystopian literature. Thanks for joining us for this spooky story adventure where everybody died. Join us next time where we'll be exploring a book where everybody is mostly already dead. Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Lizzie Sawyer. And we hope to see you and a friend here next time.